I want you to go ahead and uh, grab a Bible and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. And uh, we, are, we are beginning a new series of messages that you know, I'm calling uh, Be the Church. And uh, I'm, the angle that I'm taking on this is really, really simple. Uh, for us to be the church that God wants us to be, we need to see ourselves as disciples of Jesus and we need to take a step to follow him. And so what I'm going to be doing throughout this series is just really challenging you to take a step, to take a very practical step in your discipleship relationship. Now, here's, here's kind of, here's the interesting thing about this whole concept of disciple. You know, most people in the church, uh, there, there, there's a little bit of confusion when it comes to understanding what a disciple is. I, I think a lot of us kind of see it as... Um, you know, level five Christianity, and we're not quite there yet. You know what I mean? And so we kind of we think that there are two categories in the church. You know, we think there's Christians, which is what most of us are. And, and, and then we see disciples, and they're kind of like CrossFit Christians. You guys know what I'm saying? They're kind of like really Navy SEAL, spiritually elite Christians. And for a lot of us, we kind of see it in those two camps, and, and we're just kind of sitting in our seat, and we're thinking, you know what, I... I don't really want to be a disciple. I just, I just want to be a Christian. You know, I want, to, I want to fulfill the least minimum requirement that I need to fulfill in order, you know, to get into heaven when I die. That, that, that's really all I want. And a lot of people in the church see it that way. And so uh, if you happen to kind of be thinking that way, if that kind of characterizes you, I would just want to challenge you. You are gravely mistaken. Because I think what we see in the book of Acts, especially in chapter 11 uh, at Antioch, we see that the disciples were first called Christians. And what you see is the word Christian is really a descriptor of the word of, of a disciple. So in other words, a disciple is a Christian and a Christian is a disciple. They're the very same thing. And so a disciple is someone who just follows Jesus and they learn the ways of Jesus. They learn how he thinks and how he acts. And, and, and so they begin to imitate that in their own life. And so I want to I just kind of share with you a, a description of discipleship. Uh, this is from Curtis Vaughn. He's a New Testament scholar. And uh, this is a great quote. And he, he really gives us a great insight into what discipleship is. He says this, that believers are like immigrants to a new country, not yet completely habituated to its ways of life. They accepted citizenship in a new world, and then they must learn to live in it. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's really just becoming habituated to the ways of Jesus and living in the new world that he has brought to us. I was trying to think through how to, how to kind of illustrate this. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but just a year ago, I mean, it seems like forever ago, but um, just a year ago, the, the Colts were, were without a head football coach. Do you guys remember that? They had just fired Chuck Pagano. And Jim Irsay said, we're going to find the best coach we can find. We're going we're to bring this guy in and we're going to win the Super Bowl. We're going to get there. And so he went on a nationwide search and they hired, they offered the job to Josh McDaniels. And uh, he's an assistant coach for the New England Patriots. That's Satan's team. And, um, and so, <laughs> yeah, so they offered him the job and he accepted it. And uh, he was the Colts coach for two weeks. He, he started recruiting a staff. I think one, one staff member actually moved to Indianapolis, accepted the job. And then Josh McDaniels changed his mind. He's like, you know what? I don't want to be, a, you know, the Colts coach. I'm going to stay in New England. Now, do you remember the whole reason why Jim Irsay hired him? Well, he was 
Bill Belichick's disciple. He had habituated the ways of the Super Bowl winning head coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick. And Ursay said, you know what? He's going to bring those habits to Indianapolis and we're going to win the Super Bowl. And praise God he didn't come because God opened the door for Frank Wright to come. And Frank is a Christian. He's, he used to be a pastor. And uh, he was a disciple of Doug Peterson who used to coach for, uh, or who does coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. They just won the Super Bowl. And, and Frank Wright brought the Super Bowl winning ways to uh, Indianapolis. And we've seen a huge change. And, and really, in essence, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is just someone who's just habituated the ways of Jesus into their life. And they're doing it on a daily basis. And, um, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, Be the Church. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read just four verses, uh, chapter uh, 4, verses 14 through uh, 17. And, and, um, and let me just kind of say this as, I, as we're kind of setting this up, because I want you to get the context for what we're going to be reading. You know, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's, he's writing to the Corinthian Christians, and he's dealing with a, with a, a number of problems in this congregation. And these, these Christians in Corinth were trying to figure out what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to, you know, to kind of follow Jesus? And they were struggling with this. And there's a lot of immaturity in this church. And what we're going to see in the passage that we're going to read is Paul's going to challenge them to grow up in their faith, to man up and mature, or to woman up and mature in their faith. And so he's really challenging them because Paul is seeing a lot of different manifestations of immaturity in the body of Christ, and he's going to deal with it. And we're, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it in just a minute. So he challenges them to grow up, and that's really what I want to do today is challenge you to do the very same thing. So we're going to read uh, verses 14 through 17, and I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read the Word of God today. Paul writes this. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Now, What's, what's going on in this passage? I, I think what we see in the passage, three very simple principles for discipleship that I, I just kind of want to unpack for you. And the first one is this. As disciples of Jesus, we all begin as children. As disciples of Jesus, we all begin as children. Let me show you what I mean. Go back and look at verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, like to strongly encourage them. You know, um, as my beloved children. Now notice how he, what, how he characterizes them. He's using this metaphor of father-child. He's using this, this whole kind of relationship of father and his children. And, and so Paul sees them that way because Paul was instrumental in seeing this church get started. And so many of the Corinthian Christians were led to Christ by Paul. He's the one that brought the gospel to them. So he really sees himself as their father in the faith, that he kind of brought them into the kingdom that they were born again kind of through his ministry. And he loves them and he cares about them. 
And so I think we get an insight into what discipleship really is. And we get this principle that we all begin in our discipleship journey. We all start as children. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Let me, let me show you a couple of verses on this. This is Matthew 18. Jesus himself says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the way that you enter the kingdom of heaven is having a childlike faith and having, having that in your possession. But notice 1 Peter 2.2. 2. He, he, Peter is challenging his readers like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, what is Peter saying? He's saying, I want you to grow up in your faith. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. I want you to mature. I want you to develop. I want you to take a step and I want you to grow. It's time to get growing. And that, that is absolutely you know what he's talking about. In other words, another way of saying it would be this, that none of us come into God's family fully grown and fully developed. We all begin as children. You know, we're, you, you, don't, you don't microwave spiritual growth. You got to crock pot it. You know what I'm saying? It cooks over a long period of time. And that's what he's referring to. And I think the heart of a pastor, the heart that's coming out in Paul that we see is he's really trying to tell him, Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to grow up. You guys, are, you guys are wallowing in spiritual immaturity and it's draining the life out of you. That's kind of what he's saying. And so he says, you know, I don't write these things to shame you. I, I'm writing to you because I care about you and I love you. Now, I didn't read the things that he wrote prior to this. You can, you can do that later today. It, it's really interesting because he kind of, in the preceding verses, he lays the wood on them in a very loving way, all right? And so this church, this church struggled. They had a lot of immaturity. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you some examples of this. Um, some people that, what the Corinthian Christians would do is they would have a fellowship meal, you know, on a certain day of the week, and then they'd have communion after. And then the rich people in the congregation, they would show up and, and they were all waiting for the poor people to kind of get off from work. And they would just get impatient. And they'd go ahead and start the meal without everybody else. And that caused some friction. Not only that, but some of them in this congregation would drink too much at this gathering and get drunk. And so Paul's like, are you kidding me? What in the world is going on here? Not only that, but sometimes the Corinthian Christians, they would gather for worship like this. And their, and their worship was kind of chaotic and it was kind of out of control. And Paul's like saying, look, you, you, need, you need to know that God requires order in worship or else, you know, people are going to come in and going to think you're out of your mind. And Paul's like, I, I kinda, I'm kind of in that camp. You know what I mean? I'm kind of thinking along those lines. So there were a lot of different ways that their immaturity manifested itself. And, um, and so now what he's doing in chapter four is he, he really He's really dealing with the divisions that were in the church. So here's kind of how it happened. And this is not dissimilar to what Christians do today. So some of them really liked the Apostle Paul's teaching. And some of them liked, you know, Cephas' teaching. And then there was another guy named Apollos who's a very good teacher. And some of them liked him. And what they did is they lined up behind their favorite teacher within this church 
And then these groups weren't getting along with each other. They're like, you know, we got Paul. We're better than you guys, you know, and all this stuff. And Paul's writing to them in chapter four. He's like, are you crazy? What are you, what are you thinking? We're just servants of God. We're preachers and teachers. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. There's nothing special about us. What's special is what God has done in you. And he kind of chides them for their immaturity. And, he's, and he says to them, you know, you guys act like you're all high and mighty. You got it, every, you got it all together. Like, you, you know, you don't need to grow and you've kind of arrived spiritually and you're better than everyone else. And Paul asked them, you know, what do you have that you didn't receive from someone else? And he's like beside himself. And he said, you guys, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. And he recognizes that they're really just children in the faith. Now, let me, let me do a little bit of theology here because I... I and I've done this before, so um, I, wanna, I really want to kind of nail this one. But, you know, there's, there's two important concepts in the Christian life. There's justification, which is God's work of making us right with him. We don't earn that. We don't achieve that. We don't deserve that. That's justification. God declaring us righteous and making us right in his sight. Following justification is what we call sanctification. And so sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus. And so, and so God wants to work the character. He wants to develop the character of his son in all of us as sons and daughters. Here's the interesting thing about sanctification. God has a part in our sanctification and we have a part in our sanctification. The part that we play in sanctification is called discipleship. It is, it is us denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus every day. And so that's at the heart of what's happening here. Let, let, me, let me show you this. Turn over just a few chapters over. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you a very interesting passage of Scripture that you just wish, you know, Paul would elaborate a little bit more on. But he really explains, you know, this. Notice... Look at verse 9, and I'll just kind of walk us through it. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. All right, so the Corinthian Christians, they were all about ranking the different teachers and the apostles. They were all about, hey, let's look at God's top 13 list. You know what I mean? Let's just see who's number one, number two, you know. And we do that because we're just humans. That's kind of how we kind of think. We just kind of rank people. And so he, he's just saying, look, I'm the least. I come in at number 14 on a list of 1 to 12. That's kind of where I'm at. And he says this, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. Well, why, Paul? Why are you unworthy to be called an apostle? Well, he tells us, because I persecuted the church of God. In other words, he had a past. He was responsible for the imprisonment and the killing of hundreds of Christians. He's got a past. And so he's saying, I'm not even worthy to be an apostle. But, but notice verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, what, what I am today is not what I used to be. And what I am today is I, I am there because of the grace of God in my life. Notice what he says. I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain. He didn't waste his grace on me. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So he's saying, you know, you're, if you're playing this comparison game, I worked harder than the other apostles. But then he clarifies and comes back to it and says, though it was not I, 
by the grace of God that was in me. Now, you notice what he's doing? What he's doing is he's saying this. In his growth and sanctification, he played a part. He worked very hard at that. But God played a part too. And I think, I think here's the point for you and for me. Some of you are stuck in your relationship with God and you're not growing. And you need to, you need to take a step. You need to take a step. Some of you are in spiritual diapers and it's time to put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on and move on. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. Paul's saying, I am what I am, but the grace of God, but I also played my part. I did what I needed to do. I lived a life of, of discipline. I pursued God. I gave myself to the habits necessary that, that, you know, that, that you need to do in order to grow. That's what he's saying here. And so the principle is we all begin as children, but God doesn't want to leave you as a child in the faith. He wants to mature you. He wants you to move from milk to the meat of his word. Now, there are a lot of different steps that you can take here at Stones. We've, we've been kind of encouraging you and challenging you to take steps. So, you know, some of you have been believers for a very long time, but you've never been baptized. Why is that? Jesus commanded you need to be baptized. You know, um, some of you need to take a step and engage with God's word on a daily basis. You need to do that. We've got reading plans to get you started. It always helps to have a plan to get started. Why not take that step today? You know, some of you need to serve. Um, and just start giving away what God has given you. Why not do that? Some of you need to go on a mission trip and share your faith and, and learn how to articulate this good news. All of those things are steps that you can take. They're commitments that you make. And you show me the commitments that you make in your life and I'll show you, I will show you the direction your life is taking just by what you commit to because our commitments define us, all right? So that's the first one. We all, as disciples, we begin as children. But number two, as disciples, we grow by imitation. We grow by imitation. Let me show you this uh, from verse 15. Notice, notice how the Apostle Paul says this. Uh, verse 15, go back to uh, chapter four real fast. He says this, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now I was, I was looking up that word guide. It's basically, basically someone who you know, kind of gives you their opinions, you know, kind of, they kind of, they kind of teach you in a way, but the difference is they're not with you when the heat is on. When you're under pressure and stress, they're not there. When you need them the most, they're not there. He's saying, you've got all of those guides. You've got Oprah Winfrey, you've got Dr. Phil, you got all that stuff. What you need is a father in the faith. And Paul says, I'm that. He says, you don't have many fathers for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then notice verse 16, I urge you be imitators of me. Now, what, what, is, what, is he, what is he referring to here? I think what he's doing is he's appealing to something in nature that we all see. It's just part of everyday life. We don't even notice it much anymore. But, but basically this, Paul understands that the way you and I grow is through observing and imitating other people. That is just core to what it means to be alive. That, that as children, how do children grow and develop? By watching their parents. And then they start imitating their parents. 
And those of you who are parents, you notice your kid, they make a wrong choice. They say something they shouldn't say. They do something you shouldn't do. And you look at them, you're like, where did you learn that? And they look back at you and they say, what? From you. And you're like, oh, you know, isn't that the scariest part of parenting? And then what do you say back to them? Well, do as I say, not as I do. That's what you say, right? Uh, which is not a good parenting philosophy, by the way. So, so yeah, so we, we learn for good or for bad. We learn through observing and then imitating, don't we? You know, I was reading a very interesting article. Uh, there's a, a doctor in Germany, Kathleen Wormke. Um, she's um, the director for the Center of Pre-Speech Development and Developmental Disorders. And she did a lot of research on infants, on newborn babies in German hospitals. And then she researched um, newborn babies in French hospitals. And you know what she discovered? And she had this whole thing computerized and digitalized and everything. I mean, she had tone and cadence and pitch and all of this stuff. I mean, she really, she really kind of went after it. She found that, that newborn babies cry in the accent of their mother. So these newborn babies in Germany had German accents, basically. And then the French babies, they cried in, with a French accent. Very distinct cries, very different. And it reflected, you know, the accent of their moms. And her conclusion was, you know, a child is already learning from its mom in the womb. Can you believe that? So it's just fundamental to nature that we learn from observing and watching and then, and then through imitating and, and that's how we grow. And it's the same way in discipleship. We grow through imitation. And so this is, this is absolutely huge. You grow in your faith, you mature in your faith by being around other Christians who are growing and maturing in their faith. Now what this does is this really speaks against the individualism of our culture and you know, you don't need anybody. You can just kind of be a Lone Ranger Christian and you can kind of do it on your own and you don't even need to go to church. You know, you can just, you know, do it by yourself. And that's just not true. It's just a lie. And so there's so much emphasis in the Old and New Testament on, on God's family as a group, on community. And the reason why is because God knows we need one another. That's how we grow and mature. And so if you want to grow at work, you want to, you know, you want to get promoted at work, you've got to find a mentor, right? If you want to grow as a musician, you've got to find a music teacher. If you want to grow as an athlete, you find an athletic trainer. And then what happens is as you spend time, you start imitating them and becoming like them. And I think that's at the heart of what is, what is happening you know, what is happening here. And I, you know, I shared with you last Sunday that when I was in high school, you know, my youth pastor really spent a lot of time and invested uh, in me and discipled me. And I learned, I started learning to imitate him. And, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm the youngest of three boys. So when I was growing up, uh, my parents really weren't, weren't really Christ followers at that time. And so uh, they, they kind of yelled at each other a lot. And then they were, when they were mad at us, they yelled at us a lot. So we were, the Luck family, we were just kind of like, a bunch of yellers. And so, so then I started hanging out with my youth pastor and he would invite me over to his house for dinner and I could see how he related to his wife and his kids. And man, it was like, there's peace and joy in this relationship, you know? And, and it's like, man, I like that. That's cool. How do, you, how do you do that? I thought everybody yelled at each other. And, uh, and so that's a part of what he gave to me. And I'm just wondering, what is it that maybe is lacking in you that someone else could help you figure out in your discipleship. 
See, that's what Paul is saying. Be imitators of me. As I follow Christ, follow me. And he's not, you guys, he's not claiming to be perfect. He's not. He's already said he's the chief of sinners. He's already said he's the least of the apostles. But what he's saying is this, my life is a life of consecration. Come and join me. It doesn't mean you don't, you, you know, you don't have weaknesses. It doesn't mean you don't have struggles. Of course you have weaknesses and struggles. Church, we all have that. But isn't discipleship learning what to do with the weaknesses and the struggles? And isn't that why we need somebody pouring into us and helping us? Yeah, you know what? I used to fight that battle with pornography and I overcame it. Or I fought, I fought that battle with jealousy and I overcame that. And so God's pattern is the body of Christ being in community, learning from one another and imitating one another. I think that's at the heart of what it means to grow in your relationship with God. We grow by imitation. We start out as children, but we grow through imitation. Does that make sense? All right, but number three, there's another principle of discipleship. We all grow through knowing and doing. We all grow through knowing and doing. Two different things, knowing and doing. Now, that's the principle. What Paul focuses on is in the, the more of the doing piece. Uh, but let me just kind of show it to you in, in, in verse 16. Notice what he says. He says, I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. So Paul discipled Timothy, he was a, a pastor. And he says this, I sent him to you to remind you of my ways. In Christ, as I teach them everywhere, in every church. What he's, what he's getting at is this. I know you've forgotten what I've told you. So I'm sending Timothy to remind you. Isn't it true that we have a tendency to forget things? Wouldn't you agree to that? You know, I know exactly who I am when I go to bed at night. I have no problem with that. The problem I have is when I wake up, I don't know who I am anymore. You know what I'm saying? And I have to come back to who I am in Jesus Christ. So, so there's, there are a couple of parts here. There's, there's knowing and doing. And so for us to grow as Christians, there's a knowledge part. We need to grow in the knowledge of the word. We need to grow in the knowledge of who God is. We need to know, we need to grow in the knowledge of his ways and his character. That's what we need. And so, and so you know, we need to come Come to know the gospel and grace and what that is and be able to explain that and articulate that. You know, uh, if I asked you what the gospel is, you know, most, most of us, I think, would say, well, the gospel is Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so that I can go to heaven. And certainly that's it. That's, that's part of it. But it's bigger than just that. It's a lot bigger. You, you know what the gospel really is? The gospel is the announcement that Jesus is Lord over all. And doesn't our world need to see that and know that and recognize his lordship? Isn't that what's, what's wrong with the world today is people, don't wanna, people refuse to acknowledge his lordship? And so Jesus is Lord. That's what, that's what we need to know. That's the grace of the gospel. And because he's Lord, he's provided a way for me to come into his presence and to worship him and serve him and love him. That's the gospel. And so if Jesus is Lord, what that means is I don't have to be Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then, you know, if he's in control, then I don't have to be in control. I can just rest in him. 
And so if Jesus is Lord, what does that have to do with my struggling marriage or my empty bank account? You know, what does that have to do with my schoolwork? You know, or, you know, my, my college and, you know, career choice in the future. If Jesus is Lord, what are the implications of that? They're massive. But the main one is this, that I kneel before him and recognize his lordship. So I need to know that Jesus is Lord, all right? So if I know that Jesus is Lord, then what am I going to do with that? How am I going to live that way? If he's Lord of all, wouldn't it make sense that we need to live like he's Lord of all? Certainly. So what are the habits? What are the disciplines? What are the practices that I need to give myself to to help me to remember his Lordship every day? That's a big question. Here's another way of asking it. If somebody followed you around for a week and they watched everything you did, what of the habits and the disciplines and the practices that bring us back to Jesus as Lord would people see in your life? That's an important question. And that's what we need to be about. And it could be just praying. It could be, you know, reading scripture, Obviously, being in the community, being in church, um, serving, sharing the gospel, all of those things are things that we do to habituate ourselves to the rabbi Jesus. That's at the heart of what we were to do. And so that's how you grow, by taking a step in these areas in your life. It's you know, some of us kind of think that the Great Commission is, you know, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and sit around and talk about everything Jesus did. You know, that's, that's kind of how we view it. But Jesus said this, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize, teach them to observe, teach them to do everything I've commanded. And so there's a doing part. And, and another way of saying it is this, Christianity is not only something you believe, it is something that you do. All right, so, so there you go. We begin as children, we grow through imitation, and we grow through knowing and doing. Now, what is it that hinders our growth? What is it that, you know, kind of hinders our maturity, our step-taking as disciples of Jesus? There are a lot of different things, and I could do a whole 52-week series on that. Uh, But let me share with you one thing. I think the biggest hindrance for a lot of people is just fear and insecurity. We're just scared. And the fear comes from, well, I know that I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not living the way I should be living. I'm not doing what I should be doing. And you're just stuck. You're just kind of lodged into one place and you can't move. And it has to do with fear and, you know, you're just not living the way you're supposed to be doing. And so there's, there's guilt and then there's shame and then there's regret and there's this cycle. It just goes over and over and over again. And then, and then there's, there are others of you that you're mature in the faith. You know, you're, 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 you could be a spiritual father, you could be a spiritual mother, but you're fearful and insecure to admit that you're mature in the faith. You don't want to admit that. You feel like, oh, that, that would be bad to say, well, you know, I'm, you know, my life should be imitated. You know, I don't want to say that. And so you get kind of stuck there. Because you're really afraid to just say, you know what, I, I am. I, I've, I, I've walked with God a long time. There's something I could share. Do you know that there's good news for that fear? There really is good news. Let me show it to you in verse 15. 
Don't take my word for it. Listen to what God says or through the Apostle Paul. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you know the number one descriptor in the New Testament for a Christian is that phrase, in Christ Jesus. Church, that is who you are. You are in Christ. Now, the implications of that are astounding. What does it mean to be in Christ? I think there's two implications, two meanings, all right? Here's the first one. Being in Christ means I'm free to admit my immaturity. I'm free to admit, you know what? I'm not where I need to be. And I need to be where God wants me to be. And I need to take a step. Church, you're free to admit that. Do you know why? Because if you have, if you have believed in Jesus, then you are in Christ. And Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's removed the condemnation. Now we just need to get about following him. We just need to pick up our cross and walk in who we really are. And so you're free to say, you know what? I'm not where I need to be. I haven't been doing what I need to be doing. But you know what? That ends today. It's not about your past. It's about where God has you right now and the direction you're going tomorrow. Does that make sense? So why, why wallow around in guilt and shame and regret and just stay in that cycle? There's no reason to stay in that cycle. God doesn't want you in that cycle. The purpose of guilt is to bring you to the cross. And at the cross, we have grace. Let's drink it in. Can I get an amen to that? All right, so that's one implication. I'm free to admit my immaturity, but, but being in Christ Jesus also frees me to admit my maturity. It enables me, it empowers me to say, you know what? God's called me to be a father, a spiritual father and mother. And you know what? I'm gonna go and disciple someone else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to them, hey, you know, let's get together. Let's, let's pray together once a week. Let's just do this together. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. You don't have to have your life, you know, uh, free of weaknesses and struggles. No, that you're going to share those with them. And that's what helps them. Does that make sense? And so the gospel frees us, you know, to really be who we are and, and, and to and to really challenge us to have an impact on others. Let me, can I just share with you two practical ways that you can do this? Um, the first one would be, I just want to challenge you to get into a D group. If you're not in a, in a discipleship group, you need to be in one. And I would, I'd make a guarantee that if you commit to a D group, which is a group of, you know, anywhere from six to, you know, 14 other people that you meet with regularly, you study God's word, you pray together, you share your struggles, you share life and you follow Jesus, that's what it is. And I will guarantee you what's gonna happen is the character of Christ is gonna start building and flowing in you. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Wouldn't it be amazing you get the end of 2019 and you're like, man, God has really worked in my life. So you need to get into a D group. Others of you are in a D group and you need to become a spiritual father or mother. You need to break off from your D group and start a new one and start investing in a new group of people that want to grow and develop. That's what you need to do. You're like, man, did he say that? I'm like, yeah, we need to do that. Because you see, if, if, you, if God's called you to be a spiritual father or mother, and he has at some point when, when you're ready, and he has, you need to take that step. Why not today? 
So you need to pray about it. Pray about starting a new group and start, you know, you know, start praying that God would bring people in your life that really want to grow. They're available, they're teachable, they're faithful, but they just need somebody that they can imitate. Does that make sense? Why not start that? So, all right, here's, let me close with this. Three questions. Who are you following? In other words, who are you imitating? And then who are you investing in? You know, who are you, who, you know, who's going to be your child in the faith? You know, as you, as you think about you becoming uh, a spiritual father or mother, are you living a life worthy of imitation? You know, I am what I am by the grace of God. But I worked harder than all the rest. Are you living a life of, of worthy of imitation? You should be. I mean, if the gospel tells us anything, it tells us Jesus is worthy of our following him. Let me close with this. You know, Lecrae, the hip-hop, Christian hip-hop artist, Lecrae Moore, uh, in his testimony, he says, you know, God met me where I was at, baggy jeans and uh, earrings. And uh, he said, you know what, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. I grew up in a rough family. He said, my dad was nowhere near uh, our family. And he said, my family was filled with neglect and abuse. And he said, I made a bunch of wrong choices. He said, I got involved sexually. I've gotten involved with alcohol and drugs. I got involved with crime, gang violence, the whole nine yards. And uh, they nicknamed, his friends nicknamed him Crazy Cray. That's how wild he was. But he says, you know what? God got a hold of me and God worked in my life. And he worked through a white guy named Joe. And he said, Joe entered into my world. Joe learned me. He learned my language and he said to me, follow me as I follow Christ. And Lecrae is singing the gospel everywhere he goes today, all over the world. Because of a guy named Joe. I wonder what kind of impact you would have if you issued the same invitation. I wonder what kind of impact you would have if you said, you know what, it's time for me to grow up. And, give, and start following Jesus and being serious about this. You know, the good news of the gospel is Jesus entered into our world and he learned our language and he got involved in our life. He got close and he went to the cross and he died and he rose so that you and I could have the new life of the gospel so that we could see now Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. So I think it's time to recognize that. What's holding you back? Let's pray. God, we're amazed that you can change the sinner's heart. That your transformative grace, your work of justification. It, it's an amazing gift, God. It's, it's, we can't even understand it completely. We just know it's incredible. And we also thank you for the gift of sanctification and the process that you have us on to build the character of your son in us. We thank you, God. We have a part to play in that. And I ask that you would give us the grace to take a step, to take a step today to follow you. God, that other people would see us 
And they're like, man, they're disciples. They're following Jesus. And so God, would you just do that in our, in our congregation? Would you do that in our church family? Would you awaken the Holy Spirit within us so that we may follow you? And so we thank you and praise you. And all of God's people said, amen and amen.